Romance of Josette Chapter 1 Light My Fire Three skinny kids, white-faced and wide-eyed. The thin, wrinkled woman is in a frenzy, for hours of child-minding frustration had boiled over. She's yelling, Arrêtez! Stop! Stop it! Enough! Now we're shouting too, for our grandmother has grabbed two big steel knitting needles, jerking and thrusting them around like bayonets. Je vais me tuer. I'll kill myself. She often threatened it, but this time we were scared. Sabine was shouting, Get her legs, pull her back. I'm trying, croaked little sister Nat. But it's a tornado, she's wriggling like a cat. Lâchez-moi, let me go. The bony bundle of static electricity continued to scream at us in French. I knew it wasn't theatrics. She was crazy enough to do it. I also knew too well what my grandmother's next move would be. I redoubled my efforts to haul her back to the safety of the settee as she reached full volume. Lâchez-moi! C'est mes funéraires! Let me go! It's my funeral! Until I looked it up 40 years later, I always thought she was using the English word, but in her own manner, funéraire. Memé's hybrid language oscillated between accented English and rusty French, a unique and mangled franglais. Cushions scattered and china crashed to the floor as the room erupted. The TV was loud, Big Ben chiming in the evening news. Memé's green eyes were on fire as she hissed out a familiar refrain. Je vais te flanquer un volet. Our grandmother's familiar phrase of frustration translates as, I'm going to give you a good hiding. And the gesturing open palm and her threatening intonation echo across decades. Now, Kenneth Kendall's familiar voice can be heard reading the BBC headlines. Thirteen people have been shot dead when the Parachute Regiment opened fire on demonstrators in London Derry's Bogside. Sabine was now astride, Memer, pinning her down. But our grandmother had always been deceptively strong, with wiry workers' forearms, and as I dived across to grab the two stiletto weapons, a twisting convulsion threw us off and the settee overturned with a crash. She held the knitting needles aloft, pointing at her target, the power point. Sabine screamed as the two daggers lunged downwards. Yes, it's 1972. Just another bloody Sunday. Thanks for all that, Matty. I'll be fine. Truth is, I've been a bit low, coming out of it now. Hoping to be normal, back driving shortly. It's been three years. What do you think? They're giving me a 12-month medical driving license. We have the forms to go off. Surprisingly, my condition is reportable, uninsured, without specific permission to drive. Anyway, your idea sounds great. We've talked about it for years, haven't we? I've got it all in the attic. Photos, letters. Amazing how it survived, considering. Jim can get it down. I'll send it all on here. WhatsApp. Well, that's easier than email. Where will you start? The funny stuff? Our memories? Or Memer as a little girl with Blanche stomping around on her big boot, that sort of thing. I'll go through the documents and I'll write 
as and when I can. Sabine. It was never clear exactly what had happened. Later, Mum would say that it, it was a sort of nervous breakdown on Dad's part, although she didn't say it in front of him, and we knew from experience that such a retrospective narrative was always more propaganda than fact. Our mother had come home from hospital with another baby. The shouting, which had started around tea time, was unusual with Dad in the house. Meme's eyes glassed over as she gave her daughter the rare tongue lashing. You're mad, so many children, she said. It's none of your business. It is my business. Who has to look after them all? Look after them? You just sit by the boiler and wait for a lift home, said Mum. Sell girl, foul mouth. Keep your nose out of our bedroom. Why can't you control him? It's disgusting, said Meme. Meme had been caught snooping in that sacred place. Dad's sock drawer. She was fearless regarding privacy, took unbelievable risks, justifying her actions with thin logic. What did she care what anyone thought, anyway? In retrospect, I realised she was looking for the old box of condoms, counting, calculating. I discovered them too, years later, tucked away with a playboy and a fat Wilbur Smith paperback. The row didn't stop, and unbelievable... Our parents were off. At the end of his rope, Dad had cracked. Mum and the baby could come too. It would, well, it was up to her. If we were left even for just one night, we were normally given the lecture. On this occasion, there had been no speech, and a puff of exhaust smoke in the dark, they were gone. Physically crackling, Meme shouted after the car, and flying back inside, she swept us out of the way grabbed the Bryant and May from the lounge room mantelpiece. Rattling the box of matches, she wagged a bony finger. Not your business. In the kitchen, she grabbed a pile of bills and paper. Uh-oh, said Sabine. Casting around, Meme saw a pile of Dad's precious scores on the piano stool. HMS Pinafore, the Mikado. Subarel, ce rubbish. What's this rubbish? As she grabbed a stack of music, Sabine gasped. We retreated to the staircase as Meme ripped at the books and threw it all outside. Striking a match, a fire was quickly going right there on the kitchen step. Ignoring us, she picked up a second big pile of music and threw it on, feeding the flames. Christmas with Bing, Chopin. Sit by the boiler, sell up, she said. Next were some familiar, well-worn primers from on top of the piano. Gibbity F and A-C-E. Meme, that's my music. Stop, said Sabine. I ran across to kick out the fire, but Meme slapped me away, her eyes ablaze. Vaton, she said. Get out. I'll go and get Mrs. G, said Sabine, and she sprinted off into the dark. Mrs. G was a gentle nurse and mother, whose work ethic and wise nature had earned even Meme's respect. The flames were strong now, and Meme's face was aglow. Now she eyed off a scattered pile of song sheets. South Pacific, My Fair Lady, Cole Porter's Let's Fall in Love. Above the illustrations I could see the familiar bold, scrawled signature. W. W. Phillips. Oh my God. Meme, you mustn't. That's dad's stuff from Uncle Bill. It's none of your business. She threw the whole lot on the fire. 
Rushing up, a shocked Mrs. G looked pale. Her voice, though, was quiet. Mimere, Josette, that's enough now. I'm worried the house will burn. Where are Helene and Aubrey? With the deed done, Mimere was calmer now, descending. No, no, ça va, everything's all right. My daughter is away. She will have a little holiday. Looking down at the fire, the penny seemed to drop. She let fall the sheet music, poked a foot into the fire and broke it up a bit. As the flames subsided, black curls of charred paper floated down, and the four of us stared at the shocking mess. Je m'en fous, said Mimet. So what? They didn't need this rubbish. Dad will go bonkers, I whispered to Sabine. Well, maybe not. He never says anything. Mimet looked from the ashes to Mrs. G, to us. Oli, les enfants. Go to bed. I read the draft intro. Lovely. Had a big smile on my face. Memer always told that, the tipsy story. Yes, it's clear that she missed out on a lot, given what happened. Look into the schoolteacher thing. Don't leave that out. There are a couple of amazing documents. What's not clear, though, is why she went for decades without going back to France. It's weird because she loved it, loved her brother's, when she did go back, it was to Gouvieux. It started when she and I went to see Callan at the churchyard. I think seeing my darling's tiny grave jolted her. There and then she decided she'd go to see her father's memorial. It was when she came back, that was the big falling out. After the fight, she came to live on the farm. Jim made her a bedroom in the back and, and then had to look after her as I was too unwell. But later, she told snippets of her story, me sitting on the end of her bed. She was in her 80s by then, and said that living here was the best time of her life. I would buy her gousseriette from the deli. Hashtag, oh mon coeur, sab. Little Josette was singing to herself as she watched her young aunt slit a rabbit's throat and strip its fur. Tatty Alice threw the carcass into a tin jug. She seemed to be on the edge of tears. Grand-Père Jules! The girl had spotted her grandfather's mop of white hair coming out of the woods. He was red-faced in the heat. Ça va, ma petite? The words didn't match his face, which was etched with worry. She felt uncertain. Her grandfather's smile was missing. Alice looked at the old man, her father, eyebrows raised. It's worse than I hoped, he said. They're not far off. Compiègne is gone. Noyon, too. A damn massacre. Everything's on fire. Josette's ears pricked up. On fire? She heard her mother's raised voice from the farmhouse. That's the last of the bread. He bloody shorted me. Josette looked up at Grand-Père Jules, who just rolled his eyes, still stern-faced. Alice, you need to get moving. Jules Brevier scanned the orchard. It was strangely quiet, for the flow of thirsty men had slowed to a trickle. For a week there had been fifty or more. Moroccans, easy to spot in their coloured jackets, and slow-moving French soldiers, 
in muddy red pantaloons. Josette followed Alice as she carried the pot of bloody rabbit flesh back into the farmhouse. Her aunt's dress snagged and tore on a rusty nail head as, seeing the toddler at the fireplace, she lunged forward. Just take him, Josette. We're in a hurry. Josette felt the atmosphere, kept quiet. She grabbed her brother and looked nervously at her mother. Blanche was leaning heavily on the kitchen table, scowling at Alice. Put that in the cart and make yourself useful. Where have you been? This was aimed at Jules, who had followed them inside. For one, I'm saving that idiot Baudet from his own stupidity, said Jules. He's taken root. Ha! We should all be staying here, said Blanche. Jules was in no mood for her nonsense. Enough! Don't be foolish! The Boches are everywhere! Well, it's you who's in danger, not us. Sophie! Be quiet, girl. Of course you're going. You're taking my grandson. But Blanche wasn't listening. This baby, mon Dieu! She's shitting water, vomit. Just look at her. Jules looked more closely at the infant. What's she been drinking? The water's filthy now. There's a dead horse upstream. Josette held the baby up to her face, like a doll. Elle pue. She stinks. Oh, mon Dieu! said Blanche. Un soldat! Josette had spotted the soldier at the fence, tired-looking, in a grubby green uniform. She squeezed past her grandfather and ran to the gate, where they had been leaving a jug of water. Little Joan of Arc, said the soldier. Jeanne d'Arc? He winced as he spoke again. Thank you. Merci. I'd better keep moving. She looked back towards her grandfather, not understanding. An Anglais, an Englishman. As Josette watched the soldier head slowly down the Sonnis road, she repeated the words, An Anglais. In the farmhouse, the old man was curt. Blanche, get going. Listen, they're already in Cray. Even old Alexander's been shot at the café. Men are getting killed for resisting. We shouldn't be leaving you in mont l'Evêque. Alice, tell your father. Alice spoke up. Blanche, it's not just the men. It's like Belgium, even the nuns. As she spoke, she crossed herself. Exactly, said Jules. And if I don't sort it out, half the village will get themselves shot. The Germans will murder ten of us for a single sniper bullet. Josette sang the words. Un franc-tireur, un franc-tireur. A sniper, a sniper. Taking in Josette's dirty knees and tatty clothes, Alice thought, oh, what hope for her now, caught up in all this. Jules, however, was looking at the baby. This child looks terrible. He paused. Okay, I'll find the doctor. You two, come with me. Blanche, you'll take the boy, and let's all pray to the Virgin. Pah! Blanche Brevier spat the word as she took the boy's arm and stomped out on her high boot. The virgin, there is no god now, 